Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Brilliant to have you back. Simon Alicia here in Melbourne, Australia. And we've been doing quite a few interviews of late, and it's come to my attention that I'm well behind in updating on various services and updates and things that have been going on. In fact, I sat down and made a bit of a list, and I have over 10 things on the list. In fact, many more than that. And so I thought, do I break this up into a number of segments uh, or do I just go like hell and give you as many updates as we can? And so I chose the latter. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. We'll see how you fare. And uh, hopefully um, you'll pick up the nuggets and gems that are relevant to you and that uh, you want to dive into more. I'll try and put as much in the show notes as possible. There'll be a lot of links this week. But without further ado, let's get into it. So one of the latest things that has happened is integration between AWS Code Deploy and CloudWatch events. This means now that Code Deploy events can be integrated into CloudWatch events. So we support two types of AWS Code Deploy events, changes in the state of a deployment and changes in the state of an instance that belongs to an AWS Code Deploy deployment group. So what happens is when a deployment or instance enters the state that you specified in your CloudWatch events rule, the target action or actions allows you to specify what to do. So you could be invoking a AWS Lambda function, uh, publishing something to a Kinesis stream or an SNS topic. Um, you could push a message into an SQS queue, or you could uh, trigger some sort of Amazon CloudWatch alarm action, etc. There's lots of choices here. Really, this is one of those classic integrations that gives you a lot more power over what you do and how you do it, and allows you to have more choice into how your deployment flow operates which is pretty cool and pretty nice. Another new change that's taken place is Amazon CloudFront support for HTTP slash two or HTTP two, depending on how you say it, uh, which helps performance of your website. Now, this is a, a major revision of the HTTP protocol, and it takes advantage of things like multiplexing, header compression, and stream priority to make page loading and rendering faster. And it is now the default for all new CloudFront distributions. One of the nice things about CloudFront is you don't actually have to do anything to get the benefit of this, but your pages will potentially load faster. If you have an existing distribution, you can simply enable HTTP2 support by editing the distribution configuration. Another nice thing that's been added as well is query string whitelisting. And this allows you to configure CloudFront to only use a specific set of HTTP query parameters as the cache key while still forwarding all the parameters to the origin. So this gives you some additional acceleration of dynamic content as you get higher cache hit ratios and reduce load on your origin by actively avoiding certain parameters that are used to perform the cache key. So this is just, again, a couple of things that have been done on the, by the cloud, uh, the CloudFront team, I should say, to improve performance of your applications. Very little that you need to do to take advantage of this, but a lot of benefits to be had. Now, speaking of performance, Amazon Aurora is a database that does some pretty cool things architecturally to make databases faster. In fact, I was thinking just the other day that we really need to spend some time on a deep dive into Aurora in one of these episodes because it really has some nifty capabilities. Uh, one of the things that's changed recently is the team have introduced a reader endpoint and what this means is that you can now connect to this endpoint to take advantage of multiple read-only query endpoints within the cluster. Essentially, this is a simplicity and performance thing. It means that you can simply access 
the endpoint and get access to the readers that are available to you. And Aurora will load balance the connections across the replicas in the cluster. As we know, intelligently spreading workload makes for a more even distribution and a better end user experience. So that is now available, which is very, very cool. Something else on the Aurora front that may have uh, not come to your attention is a new release, 1.7. This is an opt-in version, so you choose to uh, take it on. Uh, it's certainly something that if you're running uh, dev test instances using Aurora, you should probably give it a go because it really has uh, some significant performance improvements. And for different kinds of uh, access modes, we've seen some pretty significant performance improvements on what is already a very performant database. So give it a little go. Uh, opt in for your dev test instances and run some tests and see what you think for your particular workload. Now, another service that I'm a bit of a fan of is AWS Config. And AWS Config allows you to see changes that are taking place in your environment. And this is important because we want to manage and maintain what's going on in our environment all the time. And one of the benefits of using AWS is you have this very active view of who is doing what and where and how and where from. Now, this latest change for AWS Config includes support for the, the new ALB, the Application Load Balancer. So this is the, um, the next evolution of the ELB. And it also has some significant console improvements that have been made as well. And these console improvements make it much easier for you to see who did what and when in a more visual way. Now, I'm a bit of a visual person. I like to see things a little easier than maybe reading them all the time. Sometimes things don't pop out at you uh, when you're just looking at things in a textual basis. So this new capability has really improved that experience for end users. So another way to take advantage of what is going on in your environment is to keep an eye on it and see who did what. It's particularly useful when you're doing deep dives into incident response. Now, most organizations are currently undertaking a massive move to a more improved mobile experience for their customers. It's really something that, that you know, a vast majority of people are consuming IT through their mobile devices. That's an important thing and something that we like. So we want to try and make life for mobile developers as easy as possible. Now, one of the ways we've done this is by improving Mobile Hub. And this is through the addition of a new tab on, in Mobile Hub called Integrate. And this allows developers to more easily integrate, funnily enough, cloud-based features. So things like user identity, NoSQL databases, push notifications, mobile analytics, etc., with their existing mobile apps. Essentially what you do is you configure your desired backend features in the Mobile Hub console, and then you go to the new Integrate tab and you will receive personalized code and instructions for using the backend features in your iOS, both Objective-C and Swift, and Android applications. This is really useful because it means you've got this sort of uh, plug and play sample that you can pick from. You can also continue to download a fully functional sample app which has illustrative code examples and is automatically configured to access your backend features as well. So this kind of gives you some more refinement to that experience, which is pretty cool. In terms of refinement, one other service that's had a refinement is the storage gateway. Now, many of you will use storage gateway to uh, allow you to transmit uh, storage from your on-premises infrastructure into the cloud. You may be using it as a virtual tape library. You may be using it as uh, shared storage space, as backup and DR, etc. Many, many use cases. 
The StorageGateway team have recently updated their console significantly. It's a significant uh, change and improvement based on your feedback. So if you're a Storage Gateway user, you'll see some changes. If you maybe didn't use it in the past because you weren't particularly enthused by the console experience, probably a great time to revisit it because it has changed significantly, which is pretty nice. Now, another change that's taken place is support for auto-scaling in spot fleets. Now, go with me on this one because this is a, a different uh, sort of twist. Uh, Autoscaling has supported spot instances for a long time. So you could create an autoscaling group and have spot instances be fulfilling the instance criteria for that group. EC2 spot fleets are a different model. This is where we can create a fleet of EC2 instances with a single request based on your target capacity, your bid price per hour, and the instance types that you want as part of your fleet. And then behind the scenes, AWS will maintain that desired target capacity for you by launching and terminating the spot instances as required. What auto-scaling does as part of this, and this is the new capability, is you can set up auto-scaling for the spot fleet. So now you can arrange to scale your fleet up and down based on an Amazon CloudWatch metric. Now the metric can be something from an AWS service, or it can be your own custom metric that you use to drive this scaling. Basically, this gives you very fine-grained control over application availability, performance, and cost, even as those loads change on a constant basis. So now you're seeing many, many different levers that you can pull to improve your performance, your price, your capacity. Your spot fleet is not a static point-in-time thing. It is now a very dynamic concept. Let's talk software deployment. So Elastic Beanstalk is a very popular service with people who want to get up and running quickly and want to get rid of a lot of our old friend, the undifferentiated heavy lifting of deploying and maintaining an application. And the Elastic Beanstalk team are always busy because they're really trying to help support our customers deploy new and different kinds of workloads. So they're now supporting uh, the deployment of Nginx with Tomcat. So a very common stack that we see a lot of our customers. Also ASP.NET Core, applications and multiple .NET applications deployed as part of one Elastic Beanstalk deployment as well. So a lot of different choices there. The other capability they've now rolled in is ALB support and the application load balancer allows us to support things like WebSockets and HTTP2 which I know a lot of application developers want to take advantage of particularly WebSockets for particular classes of applications. Elastic Beanstalk now supports that type of deployment using the ALB. So now you have a lot of choice in terms of how you do things. Now, how are you operating your environment? Do you look at your logs on a regular basis? Do you monitor? Do you dive deep? These are all things you should be doing, uh, particularly in a DevOps world. Our team at the CloudWatch Logs team have really done a great piece of work on improving the usability of CloudWatch Logs. They've basically helped you access information more easily and more importantly, collaborate and share that information. So they've improved formatting for log data, simplified access to lengthy log files. So they've made it easy to scan and to um, scroll through with infinite scrolling, easier searching. And one feature I like is simplified collaboration. So you can easily share a link with a teammate and be looking at the same information at the same time and know that you're on the same page. Often you'll know when you're diving deep and troubleshooting a problem, just getting the same information in front of one another is the challenge. Uh, this change really improves that. 
There are some other cosmetic changes as well. So things like a full screen mode, a dark theme, uh, control over the range of the Y axis, etc., are all there for you. So your visual experience also gets to be improved as well. You can also rename your charts, you have control over the y-axis of charts, and you can set your persistent storage of chart settings as well. So it's a big raft of changes, which you can imagine is driven by customer feedback. We love to hear what people want and make those changes available. Another one in that category is the change to the maximum number of tags per resource that you can have within AWS. You can now have up to 50 tags per resource. So this is really useful for customers who are storing a lot of metadata with their resources. Could be the time they launched a particular feature, could be a time they want something switched off, could be a department name, could be user data information. Really the options are endless and 50 tags are now available per resource, which means you can tag them, search on them, use them and keep track on things, which is really nice. Another nifty little change that has taken place is in the world of auto-scaling for EC2. So we talked about auto-scaling for, um, for spot fleets before, but this is our classic auto-scaling groups. And the news is, is that auto-scaling group metrics are now free. And they've also expanded and enhanced the experience within the console to make using those metrics even easier and visualizing them even easier. So in the past, if you wanted to use auto-scaling, you would drive that off um, the group metrics that drive that performance, uh, and they had a cost. Um, no longer, no more. So auto-scaling group metrics are now free of charge, and you can get the monitoring you need without having to enable EC2 detailed instance monitoring. Uh, you can also activate your auto-scaling group metrics free of charge at any time, so you can choose when you want that to come on board. And it just makes it easy to track and easy to maintain. So a nice little change, but an important change and a little cost saving there as well, which we always like. Speaking of cost savings, uh, the Workspaces team have released a really great capability that I think will appeal to a certain class of user who likes to use Amazon Workspaces. Now, Workspaces are a really cool capability that make things easy to manage, etc. A lot of users of Workspaces, which gives you a Windows-based uh, interface, uh, is that they only use them for a small period of time. Now, in the past, uh, you would pay for your workspace by the month. Now we are introducing hourly usage capability. So you can now choose between the two different modes. There is the always on mode, which you have uh, instant access to a workspace that's always running and it's billed by the month. But now there is the auto stop mode. In this mode, your workspace starts running and billing when you log in and stops automatically when you remain disconnected for a specified period of time. So you can specify that anything from one to 48 hours when it turns off automatically. Then when you next connect, your workspace will resume, all the open documents and running programs intact, and it typically takes less than 90 seconds for a stopped workspace to come back to you. So this means that if you're the kind of user who would only use your workspace for a few hours a month uh, on a periodic basis, this can really save you a great deal of money because you're only paying for what you use in that granularity, which is really, really nifty. So again, something to consider in the way you're modeling your pricing for your workspace. You can have it by the month or by the hour. Really important to have those choices. Another little change that's taken place that I know a lot of uh, customers have been looking for is expanded root volume capacity. So purely by popular demand, uh, the capacity of the root volume for newly launched workspaces is now 80 gigabytes. So this means you can run more applications and store more data at no additional costs. 
if you have uh, existing workspaces, you can rebuild them to take advantage of the larger root volumes. And there's some instructions about that as well. But some nice changes on the workspaces front. And the lucky last one that we'll talk about today is to one of our oldest services and one of our most important services because it provides glue for many, many applications worldwide. And that is the simple queuing service or Amazon SQS. There is now a new CloudWatch metric that lets you monitor the age of the oldest non-deleted message in a queue. And this is called approximate age of oldest message. That's the metric name. And it's really useful when you have time sensitive messages and you need to make sure that you're processing your messages within a specific time period. So you could actually use this to drive a CloudWatch alarm that alerts you when messages are in the queue for too long. So if you know well, one of our, our basic uh, design patterns or principles when using a queue is to tie an autoscaling group to that queue and to grow the autoscaling group based on the backlog in the queue or the number of messages in the queue, this gives you a different dimension. This is about not so much the volume of data in the queue, but the age of the data in the queue. It's also useful maybe to keep track of things that aren't being processed the way they should be and things just get getting put back on the queue. So it's a bit of a tip for logic errors, etc. So you have complete choice in, uh, in how you measure and monitor. It gives you simply another dimension to look at. Whew. So we've covered a lot of ground here and I've still kept it to under 20 minutes, which I'm pretty happy with. So hopefully it fits into your commute. Uh, in coming weeks, we'll be having uh, many more different interviews, some deep dives, and hopefully bringing a few black belt tips to bear. I've got a bit of a plan on that one as well. As always, we love to get your feedback at awspodcast at amazon.com. I think, to, I think I've lost the power of speech by this stage. And uh, we really do like to hear what you want to hear, what you're enjoying, what you're not enjoying, what we can do better. We always want to try and iterate and improve. And as ever, please share with others that the podcast exists. It's been interesting. We've been watching the uptick on adoption and people listening, and that's really exciting and really, uh, really great to see. And until next time, as always, keep on building.